And welcome to episode 28 of the Fight Disciples podcast. This one is a UFC special because there was a lot going on last weekend and there's a lot going on this weekend coming. Coming up on the show. Twinkle Toes herself, Paige Van Zandt, kicks the living daylights out of the strawway division. Oh, oh, on cue! Looking to finish this, but it is all over! Writing's on the wall for Carlos Condit. Coach is grappling, coach. This is bad. This is where he finished Matt Brown. He only needed one arm. Can he, he get it? Here it it is all over! Damian Maya chokes out Carlos Condit. Just like that. And looking ahead to this weekend, the walkaway king who was on last week's show is dead excited about Hamburg. Yeah, I, I, think, I feel it's my time. To, to get get on that right path and there's a, a shitload of good cards coming up. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast. Now then, before we kick off, I believe both of us have had uh, children trouble this week. Yeah. Nightmare, isn't it? Nightmare, it is. nightmare, mate. Yeah. Nightmare. I've had chicken pots at Catterall Towers. You've got to, you've had the injections for the baby. Eight weeks, eight week injections for the baby. Yeah, three needles and a dose. Three needles and a dose of some kind of virus. So she's sounds like she's a night out with Pete Doherty, mate. That's what that sounds like. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't good. It wasn't pretty. So for anybody listening to this, um, if you are, if you believe halfway through this podcast that you're listening to two men that are distinctly lacking in sleep, then you will be 100% correct. We, we've not been to the pillow of our own uh, for quite some time. So we're going to muddle through this and hopefully um, we'll, we'll be mildly entertaining. Maybe a bit delirious, but mildly entertaining at some points throughout it. Shall we talk UFC Vancouver, my boy? Let's get stuck in. Um I'm, I'm not going to talk about your your favourite fighter first. I'm going to talk about the crossover queen now because this is becoming more and more apparent. And we've spoke about it in the past with the with the UFC takeover, with the people that are involved in that, the people that kind of, in a way, run Hollywood. Um, Paige Van Zandt, for the people that don't know, obviously won at the weekend in the strawweight division. Fantastic finish. However, she's probably gained more of a profile in America outside of the octagon because she was involved in their version of Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing with the Stars, and she did quite well on it. Um, she took a year out to go and do that show, did fantastically well. She's, it was a return to the octagon at the weekend, and she came back in explosive fashion. Now, immediately, people are already saying, off the back of that win, she's got to go in uh, with the straw strawweight ke- queen, my, my personal favourite, Joanna Jadrajek. They've got to get her in there because that's the big fight she's the big superstar she's, it's going to be a big pay-per-view event all this type of stuff what's your view on it? too early or is this now the way that we're going to see UFC stars go? are we going to see them getting on mainstream TV going to the movies and then coming back to the octagon to reap the rewards? I think it's way too soon to put in there with uh, Joanna Champion there's just no way uh, Paige Van Zandt's ready for that yet and and there's no, there's no real reason to rush her anyway. You know, the girl's only 22. Um, you know, she's only had nine fights in her entire professional career. She lost, let's not forget, in December prior to doing Dancing with the Stars against Rose Nawajunas, another young, hot prospect in this strawweight division. She actually lost that fight. So 
okay she's come back the weekend she was sensational against Beth Rollins absolutely sensational performance that I thought that was a bit of a test for her but she blew it away but what's the rush what, you know what, why are we why are we rushing this girl in with Joanna Champion who prior to the way UFC career she was a killer Mai Tai fighter Adam as we know yeah. she was an established world champion before she came to the UFC now she's in the UFC she's absolutely kicking butt but Paige is only in the, she's only a nine fight novice relatively so I think everyone that's calling for her to have a title fight now, I think that's just mainstream America, that's seen on Dancing yeah. with the Stars. But is that King not the way that she now cashes in financially? I'm th- I'm th- I'm, for me, I'm thinking financially. Right at this moment in time, she is, as you just said, she's a mainstream star, probably the biggest yeah. Um, yeah. in that weight division. Nobody, no, no disrespect to Joanna Jadrajek, who we know and we all love and we know that she's the killer in that division, but the majority of those armchair fans won't know her. They know Paige Van Zandt and they'll probably pay to go and see that girl fight. But will they pay to see? Will they pay to go to the theatre to see it in a movie just as readily? Mm. You know the way I see it is William Morris Endeavor, the new owners of the UFC, the Hollywood super agency. These guys are plugged into all the big, the big budget Hollywood movies and everything else. They've got most of the, you know, tinfoil towns A list signed to their portfolio already. These guys have. I truly believe they've bought the UFC to make it into a global sports brand, but I truly believe they're going to utilise the stars, the athletes at their disposal in to cross-pollinate other areas of the business. So let me tell you this. Do fans of Paige Van Zandt, mainstream America, they'll fall in love with her on Dancing with the Stars. Do they want to see her going with Joanna Jadrizek and end up an absolute bloody mess and ruin that <laughs> California golden, you know, attractive look that she's got going on? Or do they want to pay to see her in the next Matthew McConaughey movie? You know, opposite opposite some kind of Hollywood stud muffin in some chick flick. Mm. You know, I, I can honestly see her going that way. She's certainly got the look. She's got the talents. Personality you know, as well. She's got that, hasn't she? Exactly. You know, when you hear her speak. Exactly. Exactly. So why 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 throw her in with Joanna Champion early just to see her more than likely get absolutely beat up into a bloody pulp? When she's there's so much other stuff that she can do. Eventually, she will get a title shot. Eventually, she'll get there. Why rush? You know, this is a the way I see her career now is rather like Sage Northcutt, two fights a year, and a movie and a cut and a TV couple of TV experience. You know, TV show uh, cameos and stuff a year, maybe two movies a year. That's that's kind of how I see their careers going. They they're not they're not just you know you want a champion. This is the Polish absolute Mai Tai sensation. I see her. She is what she is. She's a fighter. She will always be a fighter. Mm. She ain't never going to be a Hollywood superstar siren, leading lady. I could see Paige Van Zandt following more of a Gina Carano type path and moving into movies because there's just too much going on there. She's got too much going on herself personally. And as good as a performance that was on Saturday, and, you know, let's be honest, that was that was the best performance of her career. Flying switch kick followed by that, that ground and pound TKO, sensational. But you know, let, let's be re, let's be let's be honest here. Where, you know, where, where does her future lie? Her future doesn't lie in wars inside the octagon. Her future lies dipping a toe in the octagon and dipping a toe into Tinseltown. At least that's what I think. Do you think that people will look at uh, success mainstream? Um, I'm talking about maybe fighters that aren't getting 
the their opportunity, let's say, maybe they feel hard done by within the UFC, maybe they feel that they deserve a title shot, all this type of stuff. Can you see a lot more fighters now taking the mainstream route to build a profile, to build a following, to build this um, momentum behind them and then get themselves back in the octagon, get one win behind them and then start calling people out and hopefully Dana listens and says, listen, hang on a minute, people are going to pay money to see this guy or this girl get in the octagon, so let's do it. Yeah, for the likes of GSP, George St. Pierre, yeah. people like that, people that have established or potentially a little bit later along in their careers, I can see those guys coming back one win and, and trying to use their celebrity as much as their, their latest performance to, to manhandle a title shot. That's that's just sports, you know. We've seen that a lot, not just in not just in MMA across all sports, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, you're only as valuable as as what someone's willing to pay either pay per view or buy a, buy a ticket. You know, look over here in the UK, David Hay. You know, David Hay was prior to his latest comeback. You know, he was wasn't even in, involved in the heavyweight title picture yet. Now he's one of the biggest ticket ticket sellers in the whole heavyweight division. That's what the jungle does, man. Anyone. That's what the he jungle does. Get out to the jungle, son. There you go. Well, he hasn't <laughs> fought. He hasn't fought anyone. Yeah, he's selling out the O2, and he's getting massive numbers on on Dave on terrestrial TV in the UK, and yet he's not fought anybody. And yet, you know, let's be honest. He's probably a phone call away from a from a heavyweight title shot of some sort. Mm. So at the end of the day, celebrity sells, and I think WME know that are as aware of that as anybody, and they know what they've got with Paige Van Zandt, and they know she's a lot more than just a fighter. She's the she's the full package, you know. And I think she's proven before that she's got she's got the the muscle and the strength and the ability to survive in the octagon because she's had you know the, the performance she put in against Felix Herrig. Back in two, back here in 2015, you know that was that that proved to me that she was a fighter that she could handle it. She lost her nose, but that was a real you know that was a crossroads fight. Either one girl was going to go on for a title shot, and one girl wasn't, and uh, there was certainly nothing lost in that fight. But uh, to go go and do dancing with the stars and take her celebrity status to a whole new level, then obviously come back at the weekend and do what she did to Beth Rollins. You know, there's, there's arguably no hotter female fighter in the world right now, but let's just slow down. You know, nine, nine fight novice, seven and two record, age 22. Hmm. There's no rush in this kid. You know, she's, she, let's, hopefully she's going to be a lot around for a long time, so... Let's protect those looks as long as we can. Well, let's go from youth to maybe somebody that is about to call it a day. Your favourite. When we first met, we talked about various fighters that we all love. And the man that you bring up on uh, Constant Betis is uh, Carlos Condit, the natural born killer. For you at the weekend against Damian Meyer, would you class that as a surprise or had you started to see the dwindle in him? Um... You know, I'd like to say it was a complete surprise because, you know, I was hoping that Carlos was really going to bounce back. But, um, you know, he's, he's really struggled, with, you know, since he since he ran into GSP and then, you know, he lost a tough decision against Johnny Hendricks. He just hasn't quite been the same fighter. He's been dogged by injury. He broke his leg, of course, or fractured his knee or whatever it was against Tyron Woodley. And then that was a, a long road back again. And... You know, we had the title shot against Robbie Lawler, which for me was a fight of the year at the start of this year, you know, fight of the year contender. So when the fight was made with Damian Meyer, you know, I, I seen that for what it was. It was two guys in the top five, top eight, really fighting to still be a legitimate title contender. The only problem I had with it was 
you know, Carlos entered that fight after, as I say, certainly the rockiest patch of his entire career, where Damian Meyer entered the fight on the back of like a, a four or a five fight wins, you know, win, winning spree. You know, he, he hasn't looked better than he's than he looks right now in the UFC. Damian Meyer has gone back to type. It's a funny thing, Damian Meyer. We, we did an article in Fighters Only a couple of years ago called Jiu-Jitsu, uh, called Jiu-Jitsu Lobotomy. And it was basically looking at these world-class jiu-jitsu fighters. And mm. believe me, Damian Myers, top three jiu-jitsu guy in the UFC. You know, one of the best jiu-jitsu guys on you know, on the planet, certainly competing in mixed martial arts. Yeah. He is outstanding. But what happened was, you get these guys moving to the and they miss everybody. And then what happens is people, try to, people kind of understand that they're just a jiu-jitsu guy, so they just work on their takedown defense. They work on their purely their grappling defense. And they start boxing with these guys and they start knocking these guys, you know, start knocking them out. But Damian Meyer fell into that trap of, right, I'm not going to use my jiu-jitsu, I'm just going to fight, I'm going to just stand up. And he kind of, you know, he was winning some, he was losing some. He, he, he stopped being the threat that he was. But what he's done lately is he's gone back to type. He's gone back to being that absolute beast of a jiu-jitsu guy. And he started subbing people again in thrilling fashion. Well, look and at the weekend. Honda, look at the yeah. look at the sub of the weekend. I mean, he didn't even have the proper chokehold on. He just squeezed his head in a way, didn't he? Because he didn't. He wasn't fully under the chin. He didn't need to. He didn't need to. You know, once it was there, once he had that grip on, I think Condit knew. You know, it wasn't even two minutes into the fight, was it? No. You know, there was another three minutes to go. There was only one way that was going to go. Um, but you know, so, so from a Damien Meyer point of view, it's fantastic. You know, he's he, he literally is one step behind Wonderboy in terms of a, the next, you know, the, a shot at Tyron Woodley, and he deserves it because he's on this incredible run of run, results. But for, as a speaking as a Carlos Condit fan, as you know, it's uh, it's tough now. You know, it's tough because where does he go from here? I think Carlos even said afterwards, you know, that he's. He's unsure whether he, sh- he can survive at this level. And the problem with MMA is you can't really take a step backwards. It's not like boxing where you can lose a couple of world title fights and then come back to domestic level, if you like, and, and start again, you know, fight for a British title or mm. go down the, the European title route. It just doesn't work like that in the UFC because people don't get gimme fights. So Carlos Condit can't now go to the UFC and say, yeah, I'll fight again, but do us a favour. Can I just have some young novice that no one's ever heard of? It just doesn't work like that. Carlos Condit's still a top 10 ranked guy, so he's got a target on his back. So you've got to believe that everybody everybody below him, down the roster, you know, this is the welterweight division as well, so there's a, you know, we're talking about a whole lot of guys in that weight class, potentially 50, 60 guys. So there's at least 50 guys with a target pointed at Carlos Condit's back and what a scalp he would be. So I think what he's trying to say is, you know, I think he's had his shot. He's had his shot at the title. He's had he's had a couple of world title fights and he's come up short every time. I think now, you know, I think he's won two of his last seven or eight fights. You know, that, that dates back to about 2012. and it, it, It's just not looking good for him and it's... Uh, it's hard because, you know, I, I was always a Carlos Condit fan because he was just so powerful on his feet, as uh, you know, his, his kicks and his punches. I just loved the style that he had. But more than anything, he's just relentless. He's just, you know, he was probably one of those fighters that 100% lives up to his, his moniker. You know, he truly was a natural-born killer. So to see him now a lot less than that is, uh, is tough to take. You know, obviously disappointed. Um 
you know, not only me, but my, my coaches put a lot of work into this fight. And, uh, you know, it's always a team team effort when we come in here. So, you know, I feel, you know, uh, feel disappointed, but also uh, feel like I let my team down. This is the Fight Disciples podcast. Subscribe now via the iTunes store. Uh, on to Germany this weekend, UFC Hamburg. We spoke to Scotty Askin recently. He's in great form. We love him because he is the uh, yeah. original walkaway king. We're going to hear from him shortly, but I just want to talk about the top of the bill first, Nick, on that. Uh, Arlovsky, Barnett, going toe-to-toe. The big boys, the heavyweights, the number six and the number nine in the division. Yeah. Is this going to be... I mean, the, the styles seem to match quite nicely, these two lads. Um, for those that don't know too much about Barnett, his, uh, his takedown's pretty... So- uh, his attempt um, to take down is pretty solid, whereas Arlovsky's takedown defence is pretty solid. So is that, in your opinion, where the battle's going to be in this? Or do you reckon they're just going to go toe-to-toe and try and bang the hell out of each other? I think if they go out of town and try and bang the hell out of each other, Andre Olovsky will be delighted. All day. You know, that's his, that's his game. That's, that is what he's all about, landing big bombs. Josh Barnett, you know, potentially the best catch wrestler MMA's ever seen. You know, he really does come from a strong catch wrestling background. So he loves a grapple. He loves getting up close. He loves putting guys on the back, either submitting them or uh, un- unleashing, you know, some serious ground and pound so it's a it's a good fight this you know this is a mad one this is this is one for the MMA purists I yeah. keep saying because you know 10 years ago these guys were the two of the top heavyweights in the world right now don't get me wrong they're both probably ranked in the top 10 in the world anyway they're still legitimate after after so long but 10 years ago Arlovsky was the UFC champion and Josh Barnett was fighting over in Pride which was the huge Japanese promotion that at one time was well was way bigger than the UFC. You know, Pride was the biggest thing in mixed martial arts in its heyday uh, before its demise and then its uh, its buyout by the UFC. But at the time, Arlovsky was being built at the best heavyweight on the planet fighting in the UFC in North America. Josh Barnett was one of about four or five heavyweights competing in Pride who were like, well, you ain't the best, we're the best, you know, we're, we're the best guy, we're the best heavyweights in the world. And this was, you know, Mirko Krokop, you know, Nigeria, you know, these were the actual beasts of the sport during that time. These guys were monsters, so they, they were probably right, but then obviously Barnett, I'll obviously probably argue that, you know, they never got to meet in his, pra- in his peak and everything else. Anyway, 10 years on, it's finally happening. We're finally getting this fight. And, uh, you know, it's, as I say, it's a good one. I think, obviously, the longer it stands up, you've got to look at Arlovsky. And as soon as it hits the ground... Don't get me wrong, Arlovsky is a, you know, a sambo technician. You know, he's a, he's a sambo master, I believe. So, you know, he's no slouch on the ground, but that's just not where he does his best work. Yeah. That's where Josh Barnett does his best work. And for me, looking at this fight, the fact that Josh Barnett got submitted for the first time in his actual career in his last fight that is uh, you know that that's or certainly the first time in, a, in an awfully long time uh, that for me is the telling thing because I think Josh Barnett's going to turn up in Germany with a bit of a with a bit of a you know he's got a he's got he's got he's got proof you know he's got to prove something to the world that he's a, an absolute submission beast you know I think I say I think it's the first time he's ever been submitted um, I know he, he lost to Krokop a couple of times so I think that was it via TKO Rather than a rather than like a you know a, a submission hold, so to lose by submission for a guy of his caliber for the first time in his last fight, I think 
you know, my 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 thing here is that I think he's going to go to Germany. He's going to take Arlovski down. He's going to try and avoid them big punches, and he's going to go for that submission. Also on that card, a man um, that is uh, well, his name has been shouted out quite a lot in your household, mainly because your son is named after him. Alexander That's Gustafsson correct. is is also uh, in action. Number two light heavyweight, uh, taking on a kid I don't know too much about, Jan Balakovic. I don't know too much about him. I believe he's a pole. Um, yeah. So therefore, with me not knowing too much about him, I would anticipate that if he did pull off a victory, and I know that anything can happen in the UFC, it would be quite a surprise if he beats Gustafsson at the weekend. Yeah. Yeah, big time, yeah. You know, um, just to give you a bit of background, Jan Blachowicz was the KSW champion. Now, KSW is the biggest mixed martial arts promotion based out of Poland. They've actually done a couple of Wembley events now. They, You know, they're branching out. But basically, this is a, a Polish-based mixed martial arts promotion now. You know, you might think, well, and what? But these guys, you know, the KSW readily get twenty to 25,000 fans at their events. It's a big deal. You know, it's, it's potentially... Top, it's well, it's certainly top three, potentially even the best promotion, the biggest promotion in all of Europe. KSW, it just doesn't get the credit it deserves because it's based out of Poland. So Jan Blachowicz, when he came into the, into the UFC, he had a big reputation, and that's why he's been competing at such a such a high level in the UFC. Now he's had four fights so far, and he's gone two for two. But he lost to Jimmy Manoway, who's a he was a top ranked guy based out of London, who now trains with Gustafsson. But he beat a Leila Tifi, which is uh, Gustafsson's former training partner. He lost to a guy named Corey Anderson, who's a top prospect out of the US. And then he beat uh, Pogracic in his last fight, who was a Croatian. His background really is uh, is what is getting him these high caliber fights. Mm. You know, he's getting kind of thrown in at the deep end, if you like, because. He's a top 10, top 15 ranked light heavyweight. The problem is he's he's competing straight away in the top 15. You know, so you've got a feel from a little bit. This is It's a weird one, this, because on the card as well, you've got, obviously, you've got Gustafsson versus Blachowicz as the co-main event, but you've also got Ryan Bader in the third spot. There. Yeah, I noticed, yeah. Ryan Bader and Gustafsson are probably four or five in the world at 205 pounds. Yeah, I think Bader's ranked number four at light heavy. Yeah, he is. Yeah, so it, you know, it depends how you rank them kind of thing. But there's number four and number five in the world competing on the same card, yet they're both fighting guys who are probably ranked neither, you know, certainly more top 10 to 15, if you like. So I, my first reaction was, why is Gustafsson not just fighting Bader? Yeah, but fair then, point. Then I remembered I seen Ryan Bader fight in Sweden against then a formerly US UFC top ranker. Put a similar situation now with with the Gustafsson match. He fought Phil Davis in Sweden last January, and it was one of the worst fights I've ever seen. And I just I just didn't know whether Bader was why they thought you know what if we put Bader in with Gustafsson it might be another stink fest it might just be an absolute crowd split you know one that puts the crowd right off so what they've done is they've matched Bader with Latifi who's Gustafsson's training partner Latifi's a bit of a swinger a bit of a basher uh, and then they've matched Gustafsson with Blachowicz now Blachowicz like Gustafsson like most European guys is is a stri- is a striker first and foremost a kickboxing type fighter, so I think I expect that to be absolute fireworks while it lasts. But what it may well do is set up a Gustafsson Bader eliminator further down the line. So I kind of get it. I kind of get what the UFC are doing, and I've got to be honest. As I say, I prefer Gustafsson Blachowicz than I do Gustafsson Bader at this point in time. So that's my sleeper for the card this weekend. Gustafsson Blachowicz, I think, could be an absolute belter. 
We uh, spoke to our boy Scotty Askham on last week's show. If you missed it, yeah. here he is, just having a little bit of a chat with me and Nick last week about him being dead excited about being at UFC Hamburg. Yeah, I, I think I feel it's my time to to get get on that right path, and there's a, a shitload of good cards coming up. So, how important uh, is it that, that them win streaks, mate? You put two, you put three together. Next thing you know, you're on Vegas, you're on New York. Yeah. They're, the, they're the big ones, aren't they? They're the ones yeah. that you want. Hundred percent, yeah. If it, and especially if you win them in in the fashion like I've got the other UFC win, yeah, mm. uh, they they don't go unnoticed. Hundred percent, get get a couple of wins like that. And like I said, uh, UFC um, calendar for back end of the year is really stacked, and yeah. there's a, a load of cards I'd like to get on. Manchester's my main one, I think. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I need to deal, deal with Hermanson and deal with Hermanson in dramatic fashion. That's it, man. For a, ch- for a chance to get on. You that. need a Rumble Johnson. That's what you need, don't you? You yeah. need a nice 13 second, eh? just yeah. just to blow it off. One of them that you don't even need a shower. That's it, man. Yeah. You've just gone in. You've got straight back out. I'll do definitely. Yeah, if we, get, if we get one of them straight in, then like I said, that'll be five five weeks out from um, Manchester. That'd, that'd be really nice. But like, like I said, a lot of, a lot of fight cards on back end of the year. But I definitely want to be out again this year. How dangerous? Is it for him facing a geezer making his UFC debut? Because uh, Jack Hermanson is going to want to make an impression, isn't he? Of course he is. You know, this is the this is the opportunity he's been waiting for. This is what he's been working so hard for. So, you know, he's uh, he's no joke, uh, Hermanson. Even though his nickname is the Joker, <laughs> so you know he will arrive in in Hamburg this week fully confident, as confident as any undefeated fighter can be, you know, so this is a real threat now, obviously we had a good chat with Scott, and Scott felt quite comfortable about the fight and he was quite confident going in I think what's in Scott's favour is, obviously you know, Hamanton's going to turn up in Germany not knowing how it works, not knowing you know, this is a guy that's got a great undefeated record, yet you know, he's been in the little leagues, hasn't he? He's been competing in, you know, the equivalent of Division Two, if you like. Mm. And now he jumps straight into Champions League. And it's a whole other ball game. You know, when you're getting interviewed by two or three local Swedish journalists and then run up to a headline and fight on some, you know, domestic domestic MMA card to suddenly being interviewed by, you know, guys from all over the world with translators and countless TV interviews and the, the pressure that brings and obviously the amount of time it takes as well because it completely upsets your preparation. If you're used to fighting on small shows in Sweden or domestically across Europe and you may get to do one or two telephone interviews the week of the fight and then you weigh in and then you fight, that's a big difference from having two full media days with the UFC, without having to do interviews around the world, when you obviously you walk into arena, you see the UFC sign, you hear Babar O'Reilly being played out and everything, it affects people in different ways, it does. Once that Who music comes on, <laughs> uh, it affects people in different ways, you know, and that's what Scotty Askham's got in his favour, because he knows what it's like, he's experienced that before, so it wouldn't surprise me if Scott Askham absolutely pounced on him and try and get him over, get him out of there quick, because obviously the longer Hermanson's in the fight, the more comfortable he gets inside the octagon. So that's that's another one, you know. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't blink with that one. I think Scotty could have a quick. If it all goes right for him, it'll be a quick walk away KO again. Next time with the Fight Disciples. On next week's programme, we will be looking ahead towards UFC 203. Both of us have been dead excited about Majocic 
and Overeem. It is on. Cleveland, Ohio is where it's at, Nicky boy. Your quick tip CM for that? Punk. Your quick tip? CM Punk? We're getting to see CM Punk? He's the boy. Mate. He's going to get obliterated. <laughs> <laughs> That's all on next week's show. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.